Hey there, you're listening to Don't Be an Asshole, a spiritual guide. It's a podcast where we talk about life, music, and spirituality. As we get into this, I just want you to know that it's not about getting you to believe what I believe. It's about asking you to ask yourself why you believe what you believe. Well, all right. It's time for another episode of Don't Be an A-Hole, a spiritual guide. Before we get into this week's conversation, wanted to remind you that you can support this podcast financially on an ongoing basis by going to patron.podbean.com forward slash Eric Tomier. Every little bit that we raise helps me, <laughs> really. I mean, there's no great grand cause here, but it does help me create the content that I think would be beneficial for all of us. This week, we're talking about mental health, and one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I just need to talk to people every once in a while, need to get it out there, you know, unburden myself, uh, helps me be a better person. Specifically with mental health, just right up front, if you're listening and you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with thoughts that are harmful to yourself, you, you need to talk to somebody. Because, I mean, I get it. I really understand. I, I was telling somebody the other day, and this might not be something that I should be admitting, but you know how a normal person comes up to a four-way stop, and they look both ways, and they start going, but then they see that there's a truck coming that may or may not stop. And a, a normal person, they'll go like, oh my gosh, or oh crap, or hit the brakes, or something. And that's how I react most of the time. But every once in a while, I'm like, nah, what's the worst that could happen? This is it? Okay, I'm ready. So, you know, I get it. We all need to talk to somebody. Reach out to me. Email me at dbaaeric at gmail.com. Look me up on Instagram. Uh, all you got to do is Google Eric Tom Muir. All of my stuff comes up. And you know, the spelling of my names on the podcast. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm here for you. We don't have to turn on a microphone or anything. We can just talk. Okay. So we'll put that out there. If you need to talk to somebody, let's get you hooked up with somebody to talk to. This week's guest is Victor Adams. He's a high school student from North Carolina. He reached out to me, sent me an email saying that he wanted to talk about mental health. And so I said, what the hell, man? Let's do it. Last week, I said that we were just going to do like a special one week. I'm just going to put the whole interview on one, but it turned out to be longer than I thought it was going to be. So it's going to be two parts this week and next week, but then that's it. So you don't have to wait forever to finish up the conversation. Anyway, super excited for you guys to hear what Victor has to say, what's going on in his life, and I'll connect his social media information in the show notes as well. He's got quite a few followers himself, and if you want to reach out to him, you know, he'd be more than happy to talk to you himself. All right, let's get into this thing. Can you hear me? There you are, right there. Okay, okay, we're good. How are you doing? Good, good, man. It's good to finally meet you face-to-face. -face. It's good to meet you, too. Have you had a pretty smooth day today? Oh, yeah, yeah, always. Yeah. Always. Yeah, man. Yeah, So, sure. 
Yeah, Blue Devil, huh? You a Duke guy? I, I am. I am. I, I hate to do it like that to you first. Oh, no, no. It's no big but. deal. I'm really – I guess when I was younger, I was really into sports. But now I'm just kind of yeah. like, you know, hey. Well, and, and when I was a kid, I'm like – you had to like my my sports and my music, and everyone else was stupid. And right, now I'm yeah. like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you sure. like what you, you like what you like, man. Oh, for sure. I just got out of track practice, so I was like oh. rushing over here, like I got to talk to Eric. You know, oh man, that's this going. absolutely, so I'm, man. I'm really excited. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to to do this, and I'm I'm really thankful that you were able to work around the schedule and and figure. Oh, this no out. problem, man. No problem. So, I do a lot of work from home. Uh, you can see that I got a. I'm in a oh, voiceover. Yeah. I, I'm in a voiceover booth right now. So that's that's, that's what so I do. Cool. I've so, never seen that. Yeah. So uh, so track, huh? What what's your what's your thing? What do you do? Uh, well, right now I'm more of a distance guy. I uh-huh. did cross country for the first time ever this past year, and it really kicked my butt. You know, but it was a good kind of kick in your butt. I think there are those things that are like good for you mentally. Mm-hmm. And it kind of translates to your physical state, too. So I think during, like, the cross-country season, there were a lot of times where I wasn't really mentally there. So it right. caused me not to perform as well. But once I was kind of motivated and kind of like, well, maybe I can do this. And just because it's brand new doesn't mean I shouldn't put my full effort into it. And I started putting my full effort into it and being positive and feeling good about it. And I started doing a lot better. And I kind of found out that maybe this could be a new outlet to maybe relieve some tension or some stress at home or yeah. just really anything. Um, so, but yeah, I'm more of a distance guy, but I've come into sprinting as well now with track season here. You know, it's a little more up pace. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I grew up in Oklahoma, like back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. So it was all about football. Everything was football. Uh, oh, yeah. there. I love football now. I can but, talk football all day. But I went to such a small school, we didn't have uh, spring football, so we everyone had to run track. So that mm-hmm. was just the thing. So, yeah, so I uh, was the fifth or sixth fastest sprinter on my team. So I I oh, missed wow. out on I missed out on all the relays. I couldn't be so <laughs> they just stuck me on the open one mile, the open two mile, and the two mile relay. And yeah, I was like, nothing though, right? Yeah. So I mean, that was three and a half miles every every track meet. I was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I had a hard time keeping my weight up. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, it's like 145 pound interior lineman. That's how small oh, the school was. Yeah. It was a long so time ago. You're you're originally into football and things like that. You yeah, like that football? was yeah, that was my original thing. Uh, yeah. University of Oklahoma football was my my passion back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, do you still watch college and NFL? Or are you more college or NFL or what? Um. There for a long time, I was more NFL. The last couple of years, I haven't really watched a game. Uh, yeah. I watched uh, part of – I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, so um, – Well, yeah. y'all got Patricia this year, so – Yeah, we – Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I've always but, thought Stafford was a good quarterback. I always liked Stafford. Well, he's got uh, – I mean, you know, to, to digress into some football talk, Stafford maybe has the best raw arm talent in the NFL. Oh, yeah. But I mean, Rodgers, I think, is the best overall quarterback. But uh, yeah, but Stafford can somehow like use his pinky finger and throw that ball 50 yards. You know, it's, it's, yeah, launches. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. But Eli Manning has really done something bad this year. I don't know what happened with him, but goodness, I feel bad for him. But I mean, I mean, brother, you know, I mean, Peyton is 
easily going to be like a, you know, great of all time, no hands down, you know, but you know, in that last Super Bowl there against Carolina, I couldn't help but kind of sit there and think, man, Carolina is kind of getting robbed here, you know, because it's right. You know, I mean, but yeah. Now Peyton Peyton Manning's arm talent definitely diminished in that last year, but okay. his ability to a backup with a better arm wouldn't won that Super Bowl because Peyton can see everything that's happening as exactly. it's happening, and that's something that's 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 something that Stafford doesn't have. That's something that well ninety nine point nine out of a hundred guys won't have. So yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, well, man, Victor. It, it is yeah. Victor, right? You know, that's yes, that's yes, not is. just a screen name that you've been using. Yes. <laughs> right. It is Victor. All right, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, we are recording. We've been recording this whole time. Oh, okay. Well, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we were able to talk and start that off. Um, well, I am 17 years old. Um, okay. I'm currently um, a junior in high school. Okay. Um, I've been blessed enough to be able to take college courses on the side as well to kind of go ahead and lift that up. And I actually want to go into a field, uh, that requires psychology. Okay. Um, so one of my, well, not just one of my passions, but one of the things that I kind of want to do is something with mental health. Right. And as I reached out to you and emailed you, I kind of explained to you a little bit about, uh, who I am, but to kind of go back to that more in depth, there were a lot of things in my childhood that really kind of now, when I look back on it, define how I act and who I am. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to provide an angle on kind of what I've been through in my own life and my struggles and where I'm at now, my life, which is a great position and a great spot to other teens or other kids that may be struggling, you know, to find that. I would like to consider myself kind of that voice for those kids that maybe don't necessarily say there's something going on right? or, you know, kind of keep that in and it's kind of just held in there. And just based off of personal experience from helping friends to acquaintances to really just studying it as well it's not really good to hold all that stuff in you do need someone that you can talk to and trust and be able to kind of get that out there too but yeah anyways a little bit more about myself um i come from a background of of two educators my mom and my dad are both instructors my dad teaches criminal justice and my mom's english instructor um but yeah so i mean mental health has really been a thing for me though because not only have i been able to connect with people through social media, but I've been able to connect with people in real life and be able to talk about problems that are going on. And it's just been really crazy that you kind of, once you talk to someone and you find out that there are a lot worse things than maybe what you consider to be so bad, you start to right. sit there and appreciate the things that maybe you have in your life that you didn't really think about before, you know? So I think one thing that's important for all of us of all ages is to really be able to sit back and realize what we do have, that's very important. Definitely. So. Yeah, so that, that kind of segues into my how did you get yourself interested in mental health? Because I, I was, when you emailed me, I mean, just for everyone listening, I opened my email and it's like, hi, my name's Victor. You know, basically the yeah. email and I'm interested in mental health. I'd love to be on your podcast and I have a decently good size uh, social media following. So I wanted yeah. to tell people about it. And, you know, I love that. And then as I, I didn't, I don't like to stalk people on online. So I had no idea what I was getting into. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm in my mid forties. So I'm, I'm a little inept when it comes to social media. Right. I have all the social media 
but I don't know how to use the social media. Correct. So, I understand so where you're coming I, from. Yes. So, but I was like, you're like, okay, it needs to be after six o'clock your time because you're still in school. And I was like, still in school, college student. <laughs> and then, and then I looked at a couple of, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to that Instagram page. I'm like, not a college student, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, all right, well, how did, how did this guy go? I really want to talk about mental health. And this, just to jump ahead a little bit, um, people my age have a tendency to discount the opinions of 17 year olds. Right. That's, that's just uh, a harsh reality of, of ageism or, or whatever. And right. people my age are always like, Oh, those damn millennials and, and stupid yeah. stuff like that. And you're not even a millennial. Whenever I looked yeah. at the uh, chart, you're whatever comes yeah. next. Uh, yeah. They call it generation Z or centennials. Correct. And, and so <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on, on the whole generational stuff, but yeah, it, to me, I, I look back at what I was like at any of the ages that people discount, you know, 25, 15, 10, 17 years old. And every opinion is just as valid as my opinion. Every opinion is just as valid as anybody else's. The difference between you and I in this particular case is that my historical scope is longer, but that doesn't make the, the view in which you're seeing any less relevant. It's actually more relevant because you're kind of like boots on the ground at this point in place. So anyone who's listening, tuning in because it's going to be a, a headline of mental health and then find out that you're 17. If they, I don't want them to tune out because I got, yeah. you know, most of the people who are going to listen are older, you know? Yeah. So unless, you know, I mean, a lot of your friends might, might tune in if you, you know, whatever, yeah. but yeah. Um, I just wanted to put it out there that there's no need to discount anyone's opinion based on age. Right. I think the, what you're, cause what you're going through right now is just as valid and what you, encounter right now is just as real as anybody in their thirties with a job and a mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, mm-hmm. it is just as real wherever we are in life and our mental health. Now, luckily in the 21st century, it's something people are allowed to talk about. Right. You know, 25 years ago, 50 it years ago. Yeah. yeah. People are like, yeah. Oh, uh, well, everyone gets sad every once in a while. Yeah, it's no they big deal. Just not want to really open up about it. It'd be more yeah. of something that you would kind of hide and not really yeah. discuss because those things weren't really, you know, looked at as maybe potentially that serious. But now, you know, we find out about all these disorders and all these different yeah. problems that can occur. I mean, it goes all the way back into our wars. For example, in American history, too, I'm learning about shell shock. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're sitting there, we're learning about all these soldiers that just had this anxiety and this just fear of getting bombed or getting hurt or getting just attacked, yeah. you know, and it caused their minds to do stuff that they just had never experienced before. Oh, absolutely. And you kind of look at something like that. And then I kind of sit here and I'm just like, well, it really goes to show how powerful your mind is. So yeah. You know, yeah back in I, World War, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> back in World War II, that's what they called it. Shell shock, you know, World War One, World War Two. And then by the time now we call it PTSD right, and because then they're like, oh, they're just shell shocked. It, yeah. It'll pass. But now we understand that without help, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't actually pass without help. I don't know if you've ever experienced like clinical depression before, but it's like a dark cloud that just encompasses everything. One of the worst parts about depression 
is that emotional vacuum that you have. It's like this emptiness. And it's not that you can't experience like moments of joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for instance, one time I was really in the, in the throes of depression, just as dark as I could be. And I was listening to one of my favorite comedians, Mitch Hedberg, and I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> but as soon as I turned it off, I felt worse, like worse than I did before. Cause I got so used to that baseline of depression, that baseline of just emptiness that having something fill my cup for a minute and then it being gone, that was like the worst feeling. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what people don't understand is that it's not just being sad. It's this complete void that you have in your life and you need I to, agree. if there's anyone out there experiencing it, you've got to talk to somebody, you've got to get help. Exactly. It's, you can't just sit back and wait for it to pass or exactly. your or circumstances. Circumstances don't make you not depressed. Right. Depression is depression. It's not sadness because life has fallen to shit. You know, it's uh, a, yeah. it's life. It yeah, yeah, it just happens. Um, and I, you know, to go further into maybe for your listeners to kind of get a grasp on maybe what I have been through that has caused me to really be so passionate about something this serious is I originally grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. So before I moved here to North Carolina, where I currently reside, my parents were real hardworking. My dad was in the Marines for nine years. Uh, okay. He was an uh, and then he was in the FBI as well and worked for the first Bush in the White House. And then after he did all that, he just wanted to get out of it. And uh, my mom, she was from Bulgaria originally, okay. a small country in Eastern Europe. And uh, she worked at the American Embassy. My dad was a guard there at the time. And so they oh, wow. started to talk and meet and they got married and moved to, to New York after that. But my family is originally like my grandparents further on is originally from North Carolina. That's where the bloodline comes from. But, okay. Um, what happened growing up in Brooklyn was I kind of got exposed to different cultures and, and, and different views and different opinions. And in public school, I had a really good friend by the name of Ethan. And Ethan was someone who really was holding on to just a little string of life. You know, mm-hmm. he lost both his parents at the age of four. Oh, didn't ever know who they were. Uh, he, you know, had been in like 10 foster homes with so many different people and different parents, never got placed in the one just situation or living situation where he could actually adapt and stay there and grow. But he just got thrown into these families and situations. And I could see the frustration and the anger off of him at such a young age. And, you know, we were thinking so intellectually for such a young age, you know, mm-hmm. having those kind of conversations about what he'd experienced. And he's living with his great aunt, who's 82 years old and is barely affording to, to really live where she's living. You know? Right. And, and the reality of the matter is he got bounced around so many times that he didn't really know who to love or who to trust or, or, or whether it was going to last. And it just became such a mind game for him that he was like, you know what, we need to help kids out there who may be just like me or just like us, you know, that are experiencing certain problems. We just need to find these kids and talk to them. So it became a thing that he and I were going to grow up and we were going to open our own, like, I guess you could call it kind of like a, a therapeutic place where people could come and talk to us, whatever, kind of like a counseling session, things like that. But more of like, instead of treating you like you're a client, more of the perspective of, 
I'm your friend, you know, let me put myself in your shoes and walk your life and let's, you know, analyze what you're going through and come up with some solutions about it. Right. And we really thought about this in depth. And just as I thought things were going really right and really smooth, what ended up happening was just everything got to him. And one, one, one really bad night he called me and was just like, Victor, um, I need you to come over. And I was like, okay, I'll come over real quick. So I get over to his house, you know, he's home alone. I walk in there and he's just sitting on the couch alone and he's got his hands on his face and I could just tell that something was wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. he wasn't acting himself. And so I said, you know, Ethan talked to me, you know, we talked these things out. He's like, I can't tell you this. You know, I can't tell you this, this, you're going to be so disappointed in me. You're, you're going to, you know, hurt and I'm going to hurt you. And I can't, you know, I can't tell you. And I was like, okay, whatever. I went to school the next morning and he and I sit together in our first period classes and he wasn't at school. So that raised a red flag and I get into my second period and still haven't seen him. Haven't heard from him. Haven't heard a word. By my third period, it's about 12 o'clock. And a school nurse comes in and goes, is Victor Adams in this class? And I say, yes, ma'am, that's me. And I get up and she pulls me to the side and she takes me to the principal's office and she goes, now, I don't like to be a bearer of bad news. And I don't Mm. like to be someone that has to throw this on you. But she goes, were you friends with uh, Ethan Williams? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, he's been in a fatal accident. There's been a fatal accident. Something's gone wrong. I said, okay, what's gone wrong? I walk in the principal's office and the principal has a TV with like a, you know, always has the news on, mm-hmm. always has the news on. And right there, just across the screen, it said that a team, you know, just, just a kid had been shot. And I was like, what, well, you know, what was going on? And upon further discovery, he had started getting into drugs and he started getting into things that, you know, he really couldn't get himself out of. And right. I guess that was a turning point for me because at first you don't really know what's going on and you don't really want to believe what's going on. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I'm still not really, I mean, I don't think anybody really fully gets over something like that. Ever since all that, I've really kind of taken it to heart that we always had this dream of helping people that were going through problems so that they wouldn't get to a point where they thought they had to rely on something like that. Yeah. And so now not only has it become something for me to do, but it's also become something that for his legacy, I want to pursue and do as if he were still here with me. Right. So that's just one of many big things that I've been through, but that's probably the most, that was when my, my life hit like a 360. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty heavy thing to go through. I mean, anybody to go through losing a friend and being the last person to talk, talk to him. You know, I mean, there are times where I will sit there and I think everybody can relate to this. You'll sit there and think, well, what could I have done more to be there? Or what, you know, you, you just don't, you, the, the first step to losing somebody is the denial. You know, right. You're, kind of, you're in denial and you're like, Oh my God, you know, how could blah blah in the next life? well, what did I do wrong? You know, what could I have done more of? And then once you're in like that third stage, you start to be like, well, let me look at this more logically here. Maybe there was nothing I really could do, you know, and as much as I'd like to sit here and think that I could have, you know, I mean, yeah, it's always going to hurt, 
and it's always going to sit with me like that. Yeah, that's the thing is we all, anytime, I've been through the same thing, essentially the same thing. Yeah. We always think what could we have done better or what, you know, we should have seen signs or the thing is people only show us what they want you to see. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, you'll never, that's why therapy is so important is that, that there's a, a training that goes to helping the person discover to, For sure. to, to see, to help, help other people see them. But there's nothing in it really. I, I went through the same thing and it was like this inflated sense of self-importance almost like I could have done something, you know, some divine intervention put to put the godness on myself. Yeah. Um, Cause my best, it was my best friend from sixth grade to ninth grade. And uh, the first friend I ever made actually, because I went to 13 elementary schools. So I'd never yeah. got a chance to, make a friend in elementary school. So I show up in middle school and this kid's like, Hey, you want to spend the night at my house? And I was like, I, yes, I do. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I do. And so that's where that began. And for three years, four years, we were best friends. And then one day he's just like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I mean, it was very direct. And so I was like, I don't know what happened. We had like another guy that was like, you know, there was me and him and one other guy. And we were just like all yeah. best friends. And so him and this other guy stayed best friends. And then me and that other guy stayed best friends. So poor Jason was just stuck in the middle of um, this, this yeah, weird. Pong in between yeah. Two. Yeah. And so, and I was always like, what's going on? What's going on? He's like, I, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. And our other friend eventually got further into to heavier drugs. I mean, in high school, I smoked a ton of weed. Um, and that was 25 years ago, but Right. Uh, my other friend, he got into heroin, he got into cocaine, he got into the real heavy stuff, the stuff I never even tried to touch. I moved on. I was, I think, in Texas going to college and I was married and I got a call from my friend saying that our mutual friend, he got pulled over by the police and instead of going in, he just took out a shotgun and blew his brains out right there in the car where the cops coming up to the thing. And I just freaked out and I'm like, and so I spent a long time just saying I should have been a better friend. I should have fought for our friendship. I should have wormed my way back into his life. I should have, I should have, I should have. But the truth is there's nothing I could have done. There's absolutely not a thing I could have done in that situation. And it took me three or four years, even longer, maybe. For me to realize it. Yeah. yeah. I'm a slow learner. You know, I was, I was in my mid twenties, well, late twenties. Well, well, the thing about it is when you go through, I think this is another thing that can really relate with mental health is, you know, everybody is different and everybody has a different coping mechanism. And so I don't think that there should be a timetable for when you get over something or when you can't get over something because right. everybody thinks differently and everybody has a different life away from the phone or the screen or anything. It's really different when you speak to someone and you actually know them. You can talk to somebody all you want, but do you really know them? You right. know, like, do you actually, are you there every single second of every single day seeing exactly what they do? or what they think, or are you inside their mind? And I think that that's a scary thing is one thing that hits me really hard 
is like with, because my girlfriend's in college currently, she's a freshman in college. She's at NC State University studying to become a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. One thing that kind of has translated to kind of our relationship is even at this age, a lot of trust has been built, you know, but it also comes from me being so mature and her being so mature that we're able to make it work like that. It's kind of like one of those things, like, why would you get with someone if you don't see yourself in a long-term position with them, which a lot of young people, especially at my age or even younger, don't really look at, you know, because they're not really care. You know, they're not caring about that. It's a, it's a time to be curious. But for me personally, Eric, and this is just from me to you, I don't really care about being curious and I don't really care about doing any of those things because that's mm-hmm. not who I am. Right. And that's not how I was raised. And that's not how I want to present myself. I am wanting to become somebody who can be a leader for a lot of young people and older people, just like who may be on your show today. They might be hearing this and feel really, you know, empowered by kind of what I'm saying. Kind of like, wow, you know, he really actually kind of knows what he's talking about. And I feel like a lot of people look at me and are kind of like, well, mental health, you know, kind of like what you say, you know, explain to me why I should listen to you, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like that attitude towards it. And it's like, well, there's... For me personally, I've always been open-minded and no matter how old you are, no matter color of your skin, no matter your sexual orientation, no matter where you come from, I believe everyone is entitled to feeling equal and feeling like their voice needs to be heard. So many successful leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks doing what she did on that bus. So many different people did these bold acts or these bold movements in order to get further, knowing that there could be consequences or knowing that, you know, taking that risk could have resulted in a really bad manner, which for, you know, MLK or Malcolm X or some of these people, it did result in a bad manner, you know, yeah. but they didn't care because ultimately they were doing it for the better of society and for the people. And that's kind of how I want to view myself as well, you know? So, yeah, just uh, put yourself out there. You yeah. Know? I mean, but it's a scary thing to do. It's not. I think a lot of people think it's 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 cool being different, but it really isn't. There's a lot of responsibility that comes from being different or just, I don't know, it just, you get what I'm saying. There's just a lot of burdens that can come with that as well. And I've experienced them from, you know, you take things a lot harder when something bad happens or when something is wrong or when someone's not as mature as you are, you know, you start to kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's kind of like a thing that, kind of, I guess, kicks in. And for me personally, it's frustrating when, you know, I talk to certain people and they don't really understand what I'm trying to say when I say I care about, you know, people's problems or I care about what they're going through. And I've had a lot of people look at me blankly, especially in high school, Mm -hmm. you know, where it can be a very judgmental environment. And I'm not gonna lie to you, Eric, I've had a few people come up to me and say, well, Victor, why exactly do you really care about all of us, if you don't know who we are, then why do you really give a crap? Yeah, it goes to that macro versus micro view on humanity. Like, I know some people, I, I, I are one of these people, <laughs> who uh, yeah. I, I, I have a tendency to care more about the welfare of humanity than the welfare of an individual. Yes, yeah, I I'm trying to be more individualistic with my love towards human human beings because yeah. I'm always like, yeah, but this is better for humanity. Yeah. Uh, I was a pastor for 18 years before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Before I went into acting and voiceover and doing this. 
you're 17. I, I was 22 when I took my first position at a church and same thing, man, you know, 30 year olds, people who are married with kids or like, why should I listen to you? You don't have kids. You don't yeah. know what it's like. Or people who are 40. It's like, why would I follow you? Why, why are you my leader? And it's, it never ends because there's always somebody who, who feels like they have more or feels attacked or feels some kind of certain way about it. There's nothing you're right. There's nothing you can really do about it other than hope that either a, they're going to come around or B you can be so impactful with your words that maybe they can really see you're putting forth an effort to really try to outreach to them. Because I feel like another big part of it though, is honestly, some people when they do it, and this is not shot to anybody or any reference to anybody, this is just in general. I've seen a few people that proclaim, you know, oh yeah, I really care about this individual, blah, 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 blah. Well, anybody can talk and say mm-hmm. that they care about somebody, but do you really want to go in depth with it? Do you want to challenge that person? Do you want to get them a little out of their comfort zone so they can really be kind of, I guess, descriptive with what they're feeling or what mm-hmm. they're going through? Because anybody can say that, you know, they don't feel good, but why don't you feel good? What are the mm-hmm. problems for it? Are you having, you know, at home problems with your family? Is it abuse? Are you, you know, addicted to alcohol? Is there something more serious that we don't know about? You know, it's these little things that can really make a big difference from like, oh, you know, I'm not okay to like, oh, you really are not okay, you know, and you need some help, professional help. And I feel like a lot of people, and even I know, I'm not capable of helping someone that is going through something like that. I can talk to them and be a friend and a mentor as much as I want to. But ultimately, that's for the professionals to handle. And that's the, th- the thing. Most professionals haven't been through the things that their patients have gone through. True. It's, it, what it's really about is developing a skill to listen. Mm-hmm. Most of us want to hear part of the problem, jump to a conclusion. I had the solution for you. This is what you need to do. Whereas the most beneficial therapy and I think everybody should go through therapy. Uh, I do too. I, I, I think, went through it. Yeah, I, 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 I need to go through it again. I, I want to. You know, I, I <laughs> got a few uh, things you want to tell us, Eric. There. Yeah, well, that's, on air. People are like, why? When people are like, why do you want to do this podcast? I'm like, well, I can't afford therapy right now, and I just need people to talk to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a, a trained therapist, they listen, yeah. and they ask a question occasionally. And they just let let it draw out of you because if you talk long enough, you you'll get will, it out. You'll get it out of there. You you'll know, get it out. It'll come out. Trust me. I mean, me, I know. they'll they'll direct. They won't let you just you know bullshit yourself. But one one thing that my therapist said to me when I went to therapy because my parents were like in the middle of about to get a divorce and they were talking about how I was like the problem of the family and there was a lot going on. So I ended up running away from home. Now, you got to keep in mind that for someone like me who is known by really everybody in this town, everybody's held me as kind of a high decorated individual that, you know, has always had his head on straight. That didn't look too good. You right. Know? And it was all over the news. And I ended up actually being missing for three weeks. Okay. Um, I was able to don't don't ask me how, but I was able to get away like that for, for a while. And when I came back, you know, obviously I kind of did it to scare my parents, but I didn't really mean to traumatize them in the way that it ended up happening. But I understand, you know, now, I mean, at the time I was pretty young, but still, I mean, you kind of, 
I guess you learn a lot about yourself through experiences like that. But, you know, upon speaking to a therapist, because I ended up going to therapy and that was my choice. That wasn't my parents' choice. They, they didn't really pressure me into it, but I said, I wanted to try it, you know, cause why not? Right. And since I want to go into that field possibly and potentially anyways, maybe not specifically that kind of field, but still something related, you know, it was good to experience that. And so I got there and I'm speaking to my counselor or this therapist and really I'm sitting there thinking he doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. Right. You know, at first, and then I'm starting to sit there. And one thing that he said to me is stuck with me to this day. And this is something I tell a lot of people is he sat there and said, my job isn't to give you the answers. My job is for you to talk it out yourself and find out the answers for yourself. Well, that was uh, part number one with Victor Adams. Tune in next week for part number two, and we get into the normal things that I ask my guests about. The song that takes them back to a certain memory, whether they have faith or not, why, why not, you know, little questions like that. All right, kids, don't be assholes.